Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking Newspapers, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News, recorded on Thursday, November the 8th. I'm Judith Doherty and before I carry on, I hope that you've enjoyed our new music, which has been rearranged and recorded by Sheila Joins who actually arranged uh, the first music uh, many years ago. So hopefully it's got your feet tapping. And um, and now I will carry on with uh, the rest of tonight's uh, news. And um, as I said, I'm Judith Doherty. And the team this week is um, Duncan Wynne, our engineer. And the readers are Elizabeth Hill, Audrey Luxton, and Sally Rowe. Admin by Carol Hartle and Sue Childs, and the copying by Duncan Wynne, Audrey Luxton, and Judith Doherty. I would like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, the obituaries, thought for the week, We will open the birthday book and please do let us know yours so we can wish you a happy birthday. This week's headlines, sunrise and sunset times and then the headline stories followed by stories from the past week. The service is free to users but if you do wish to make a voluntary donation it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester. WR51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on the answer phone 01905 767766 or add a note to your wallet. And now I'm going to hand over to Audrey for the telephone numbers. Thank you, Audrey. I'll repeat our number here in Wilds Lane. <coughs> which is 01905-767-766. If you want to contact the police in a non-emergency, it's 101. Crime Stoppers is 08-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-
Drug dealers admit heroin and cocaine plot. Girl describes Ali sex attack and rape accused park sex assault on boy. The sunrise is now 7.17 in the morning and sunset is 4.27pm. And now over to Sally for um, what's on in the theatres locally. Right, well there's a lot going on in the next week or so. Um, Starting in Worcester, on Saturday the 10th of November at the Huntingdon Hall in the evening at 7.30 is the Total Who Show, which is um, a covers band for The Who. Uh, then on Sunday the 11th of November at 3 o'clock, also at the Huntingdon Hall, is Lyre Williams uh, playing the piano. It doesn't say what he's playing. It's a concert for the Worcester Concert Club. Um, and uh, on Tuesday the 13th of November at 7.30, there's a free lecture on the in- from the Institute of Physics on Glacial Earth from Ice Caps to the Snowball. It's also at Huntingdon Hall. Then at the Swan Theatre on Wednesday afternoon at 4.30, Wednesday the 14th, there's a children's uh, production suitable for children called Tabby McTat, um, a Julia Donaldson uh, book which has been brought to life. Um, And... On Friday the 16th, also at Huntingdon Hall, in the evening at 7.30, there's a stand-up comedian, poet, improviser and TV stalwart Phil Jupitus. Then on Saturday the 17th of November, there is Little Red Riding Hood at Henry Sandon Hall. That's um, for children, uh, ideal for ages 4 to 8, and runs for about 45 minutes, starting at 2 o'clock. Then to the Huntingdon Hall on Saturday the 17th of November at 7.30 is Surf's Up, a spectacular Beach Boy tribute band, and that's uh, at the Huntingdon Hall. And then um, on Sunday the 18th of November is the English String Orchestra playing the Four Seasons at the Huntingdon Hall. That's at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, Then also... Just looking ahead um, in, at Worcester Cathedral, the Worcester Festival Choral Society, Worcester Cathedral Boys Choristers and a full symphony orchestra are performing um, the Va- Vaughan Williams Christmas Cantata, Hoodie and Poulenc's Gloria. That's on Saturday the 17th of November at 7.30 and those tickets are available from the Worcester Live on Worcester 611427. Then also in Henry Sandon's Hall, there, which is the new um, venue in the Porcelain Factory in Worcester, on a Monday night there's going to be film nights. And um, the first this month is celebrating women directors. Henry Sandon Hall has teamed up with the University of Worcester to present a fantastic programme of films with various themed series. On Monday, November the 12th, audience will, will be treated to a screening of a 1962 released film, Clio, from 5 to 7, in which Varda skillfully captures Paris at the height of the 60s. 
Next up on November the 19th is Salam Bombay, a 1988 release directed by New York-based Indian-American filmmaker Myra Nair. Also at um, the Henry Sandon Hall, there's going to be a series of talks entitled Arts in Action. And um, those are going to be on a Tuesday night. And on Tuesday, November the 20th, the Chris Yeager will be giving an amusing and enlightening talk about the history of Huntingdon Hall. Uh, so that's all in Worcester. Then in um, at the Norbury Theatre in Droit, which there will be a charity concert to help people coping with dementia. Hits from a musical walk down memory lane um, with music from Paul Simon musicals, Billy Joel and much more and that's also on Saturday November the 17th it doesn't say the time, I presume it's in the evening but tickets are available from Norbury Theatre Box Office and then in Malvern Malvern Theatre the play uh, running next week from the thir- Tuesday the 13th to Saturday the 17th is My Mother Said I Never Should by Charlotte Keatley, set in Manchester, Oldham and London, is a poignant, bittersweet story about love, jealousy and the price of freedom. And that's um, 7.30 in the evening. And there's usually a matinee. doesn't mention that there. And then the following week, on Tuesday the 20th to Saturday the 24th, is a play entitled Still Alice. I don't think there's any other... Then with the um, Remembrance Weekend ahead, I thought I would just point out a few things that are happening, services that are happening. St John's Church is holding a tribute evening for the fallen soldiers of the First World War. Um, A brazier will be lit and poppies will fall from the sky. The church will exhibit a number of displays made in the local community, including by the scouts and pupils from Christopher Whitehead College. The church will be decorated with poppies by the ladies, the St John's Church Flower Ladies, and the Roll of Honour will be displayed so people can find the names and addresses of fallen relatives. There will be a visit from Paul Harding and Helen Lee from Discover History to explain the role of the Worcester Regiment. The event begins at 5.30 on Sunday, November the 11th, with a reading by the Reverend Sarah Cottrell at 7pm before the bells ring out a cry for lasting peace. So that's in St John's. Um, And then to commemorate the armistice, Worcester Cathedral is offering not one but four opportunities to remember the casualties of war. This year's remembrance will begin on Sunday, November the 11th, with a lone piper playing at the City War Memorial at 6am. The Civic Remembrance Service at 10am will be attended by the Lord Lieutenant of Worcestershire as well as the Mayor and representatives of the Armed Forces, the City and the County. A new anthem, Solemn in All His Glory, especially composed for this service by Neil Cox, will be premiered by the Cathedral Choir and it will be followed by an act of remembrance at the County War Memorial including a two-minute silence marked by gunfire and the Cathedral Bell at 11am before a civic procession to the Guild Hall, where the Lord Lieutenant and Mayor will take the salute. The 4pm service of Evensong at the Cathedral 
on Remembrance Sunday, sung by the Cathedral Voluntary Choir, will feature prayers for peace and reconciliation. All are warmly invited to attend. Those who died in the First World War will also be remembered at a special service at the Cathedral in the evening, featuring rarely heard music composed for the war dead in 1915 by Henry Walford Davis. Names of those to be remembered will be read aloud at this Requiem Eucharist to be held at 6.30. And then... I think that's the congregation at the church pastored by Worcester's famous First World War Army Chaplain Woodbine Willie is gearing up for a special community remembrance service and this includes dusting down the distinctive crucifix on the war memorial at the front of St Paul's Church, one of the very few in the world depicting Christ looking forward in victory rather than looking down as is traditional. The Reverend Geoffrey Studdard Kennedy, fondly nicknamed Woodbine Willie due to his penchant for sharing a cigarette with the troops he ministered to in the trenches of World War I, was a vicar at St Paul's in the city centre in 1914. He preached to packed congregations and was well known for going hungry while he bought and gave away food to needy parishioners. The current congregation is continuing his legacy of working with local communities through its city care programme and is holding the special remembrance service on Sunday, November the 11th, starting at 10.15am. We're living in the legacy of the Reverend Studdard Kennedy and maintaining his values and traditions, said Peter Boyd from St Paul's Church. As well as working with the troops, his ministry closer to home was among the individuals, families and communities in what was then a very poor parish around St Paul's Church. Although the rows of tightly packed two-up, two-down terraced houses have been replaced with modern flats, it's these same communities we're inviting to share this special service with. If there are any current or ex-servicemen living in the area, the church particularly extends an invitation to them. The ceremony at the War Memorial begins at 10.45 in front of the church. It will involve the reading of a poem written by Woodbine Willie about the Great War and its impact and followed by wreath-laying and two-minute silence. Thank you, Sally. Um, Now I will read um, the obituaries that have um, been in the paper during the last week. Um, Firstly, Douglas William Mark Billy Ewins, uh, ex-Midland Red, who passed away peacefully on October the 26th, 2018, brother to Susan and Fred, and he will be sadly missed. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, November the 15th at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, but donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation may be left in the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, um, 68-70 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Um, Patricia Eileen Pat Mitten, née Priest of Clanes, passed away in hospital on October the 31st, 2018, aged 90 years, beloved wife of the late Rex, dearly loved mother of Mark and grandmother to Mark. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, November the 16th 
at 1.45pm. Uh, flowers may be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services 01905 748811. And Geoffrey Richard Wood, co-founder of Worcester Judo Club 83, passed away on November the 1st, aged 88 years. Much missed by all his family and friends. And the funeral service will take place at the Worcester Crematorium on November the 14th at 1pm. All inquiries to Bedwardine Funeral Services 01905 748811. Uh, Edgar John Jack Miles of Holt Heath passed away peacefully at home on Tuesday, October the 23rd, aged 95. Loving husband of Hazel, father to Michael and Sandra, and granddad and great-granddad. Funeral service at St Andrew's Church, Ombersley, on Wednesday, November the 14th, at 12.30pm, followed by committal at Wire Forest Crematorium at 1.30. Family flowers only, but donations, if desired, for Prostate Cancer UK may be left on the collection plate or sent to EJ Gummery and Son, um, Ombersley Road, Worcester, as before. Um, Patience Insel, nay Lee, passed away on October the 23rd and the funeral service will be held at St Mary's Church Stone on November the 16th at 11am. For further inquiries, please contact George Crump and Son Funeral Directors 01905 773339. Jessie Irene Jones sadly passed away surrounded by her devoted family on October the 10th at the Alexandra Hospital, Redditch, aged 90. Devoted mother, grandmother and great-grandmother who was sadly missed by family and friends. A service in memory of Jessie will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, November the 12th at 10.45am. Flowers welcome or donations for cancer research, if desired, can be left in the box provided or sent to AV Band Funeral Directors. Uh, Robert Dean Bob Priest died October the 20th, husband of Rose Marie, father of Mark and Jane. Memorial service will take place at Kroll Church on November the 14th at 12.30pm. Family flowers only. only. All inquiries to George Crump and Sons. Um... Tony Lloyd of Worcester um, passed away on October the 27th um, peacefully at, at St Richard's Hospice after an illness bravely fought, aged 80 years. Beloved husband of Pat, dear dad to Martin, father-in-law to Jane and a much-loved granddad to Peter and Michael. Funeral service at St Clement's Church, St John's, on Friday, November the 16th at 12 noon followed by a private cremation. Family flowers only, donations for St Richard's Hospice may be sent to E. Hill and Son, Funeral Directors, Pershaw, 
WR101HZ. Now I've got a few that the funerals have already taken place. Um, Leslie Arthur David Dave Griffin of Bromwich Road, Worcester, passed away peacefully in hospital on October the 10th, aged 86. Much love father to Carol Martin, Christopher and Alan, and beloved husband of the late Eunice. Now the funeral service took place, has taken place at Worcester Crematorium, um, well, Friday the 9th, which is tomorrow, so this will recording will be going out that day. Uh, at 12.15, um, where there were family flowers, but donations still, if desired, to Midlands Air Ambulance um, and sent to E.J. Gamry and Son, Ombersley Road, Worcester. Um, Mick, Michael, or Mick Price, peace, died peacefully on 17th of October, age 64, um, the funeral service has taken place at St John's Church um, last Wednesday, the 7th of November, followed by internment at St John's Cemetery. Um, donations can be sent for Cancer Research UK to Bedwardine Funeral Services, 01905 And... Lorraine Christiane Symes or Sims um, passed away at home on the 15th of October, age 59. A much-loved mum, sister, auntie and friend. A celebration of her life was held on Thursday, November the 8th at 1.15pm at Bordersley Park, Alve Church. Donations, if desired, for Cancer Research UK can be sent to... E.J. Gummery and Son, Ombersley Road, Worcester. Um, Marjorie Bramhall, um, a much-loved mum of Jill, Tina and Paula, and a mother-in-law and gran. Um, a service was held on November the 5th at Worcester Crematorium at 10am um, and donations could be sent to the Alzheimer's Society. Philip Hawkins passed away suddenly but peacefully on October the 21st, age 69. Much loved brother to Janet. Will be sadly missed by all the family and friends. And the funeral service was held at the crematorium in Worcester, um, well, tomorrow, well, for, uh, November the 9th at 230 um, family flowers only, but donations, if desired, to Acorns Children's Hospice can be sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, the Coach House, 30 Bromyard Road, St John's, Worcester, WR25BT, 01905 748811. Um, and I think finally... Uh, Peter Checkets, formerly of Ombersley, passed away after a short illness, aged 65. Husband to Sally, dad to Julian, Amelia and Jared, brother to Tony, Phil and Andy. Um, the funeral service took place on the 6th of November, sorry, on the 8th of November at 11.30am at um, the Church of Our Lady and St Andrew 
in Hitchin Hearts. And I think that's all the um, all the obituaries. So our, our thoughts and prayers are with um, the families and um, all close to those who have passed away recently. And um, the thought for the week is um, taken from Matthew chapter 8 verses 16 and 17. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. And now I'll hand over to Liz to open the birthday book. Thank you, Liz. Well, I think the only birthday we have is that of Paddy Fellows, whose birthday is actually next Thursday, the 15th. Um, But obviously the tape won't go out until, um, the recording won't go out until then. So we wish Paddy Fellows a very happy birthday and thank her for her contribution to Talking News over very many years. Thank you, Liz. Uh, now, have we read the headlines? Yes. Shall we go straight into... Sorry, a bit out of order. Shall yes. we go okay. straight into uh, reading the headlines? The first one where Liz is going to read. Okay. Thank you. A family whose teenager was bullied out of school is organising a prom for children who will miss out on the tradition. Jodie Evans, 38, pulled out her daughter, Heidi Evans, from secondary school as the 15-year-old was getting bullied. She is now homeschooled and a lot happier. However, her life was a living hell due to cruel taunts from fellow pupils. Mrs Evans said the bullying began when Heidi was at primary school. The situation got worse as fellow pupils grew more cruel. They would follow her home, calling her names and wait outside her house. Heidi said, at school, I was always so nervous. I would always be looking over my shoulder to check no one was there. Even now, I'm scared to pass by the bullies. I bump into them often, so I have to walk a bit faster and call my mum or dad to pick me up. Mrs Evans added, Heidi would come home every day from after school crying. She would go straight to her room and shut the door, closing us out. We were so worried about her. She does not like going out on her own. She always has to bring someone along with her. She is still terrified the bullying will start again. The police have been involved on occasions when the bullies would be standing outside our house shouting nasty names. You cannot stop bullies. More needs to be done to help others out there who are experiencing this abuse. Mrs Evans has been homeschooling her daughter for 18 months. And since then, the family have noticed a huge change in Heidi and she appears much happier. Heidi will be finishing her education next year. However, she is devastated she will not have a prom to join other fellow teenagers. Mrs Evans said she is desperate for a prom, like every other teenager. We were watching High School Musical the other week and the prom scene came on. Heidi burst out in tears and told me she was upset she would never have that experience. Why should my daughter not have what the bullies have? 
It is unfair how the bullies can have their prom, yet my girl cannot celebrate the day. When I told her that we will organise a prom, she was over the moon. The prom will be a great opportunity for other home-educated children to mingle and make friends. It will be nice for families to know their child has an option to go to a prom. Talking about how she feels, feels now, Heidi said, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm still anxious, but I have a lot of support around me. I'm enjoying being homeschooled. My mum is a good teacher. We're very close and I'm so grateful to have a loving family. It is so exciting that I will have prom. I've been looking out for dresses. I want a big, puffy, royal blue one. The day will be so special. The Evans family are organising the prom for home-educated students in Worcestershire and are appealing for volunteers to get on board to help set up the event. It will take place on Saturday, July the 6th next year at the Archdales Club. Anyone interested in attending can call Mrs Evans on 0773138064. A vulnerable homeless woman was attacked in the night by a drunk man in Worcester City Centre. Sajid Arangazab attacked the victim only metres away from Worcester Police Station in an incident the manager of a city homeless project has called shocking, saying it highlights what homeless people have to, have to suffer on the city streets. Prosecuting at Worcester Magistrates Court, Nicola Ritchie said the incident began in the early hours of Saturday, October the 13th when the 27-year-old spoke to the, ma- the woman in McDonald's in Forgood Street, asking her if she was homeless. Miss Ritchie said she said yes. The defendant then offered to give her a, a bed... some money, saying he would need to withdraw it from a cash point. Miss Ritchie said the defendant went out of the first the fast food restaurant with the woman, handing over £20 at a cash point in the cross. Miss Ritchie said the victim claimed that Orangarab then asked her for sexual favours, which the victim refused. The complainant got on her bike and went to the SO garage in Castle Street to buy alcohol, Miss Ritchie said. He ran after her to the garage and pushed her hard to the floor, falling onto her, onto her back. Then he pulled her hair. Miss Ritchie said the police were quickly on the scene to stop the attack as the officers came from Worcester Police Station across the road. Defending Andrew Wakeman stressed Arangzab of Crab Street, Starbridge, denied that he'd asked for any sexual favours, explaining that this had initially been a case of him wanting to help a homeless woman. He decided to offer her money. He got the money from the cash point and gave it to her. He followed her to outside the petrol station because he wanted to ask for the money back as he needed the money to get a taxi home. She refused. He admitted he was the one in the wrong. He was drunk. He shouldn't have tried to get the money back. This was out of character. He's not someone who has behaved like this before. Sentencing him, 
The chairman of the bench, Harris Markung, said he had given Orangazab credit for his early guilty plea of, a, of assault by beating and was dealing with the issue by way of a fine and compensation for the victim. Orangazab was fined £150 and ordered to pay £75 in compensation, court costs of £135 and a victim surcharge of £30, a total of £390. Mel Kirk, manager of Mag's Day Centre, said it was an example of homeless persons being dehumanised when they were on their own at their lowest ebb. This highlights the change. This highlights the dangers of being homeless, and just being out in the cold. But the threats to your personal safety as well. Being attacked is bad enough, but it would have been frightening for the victim, as she had nowhere to go. It must have been very scary. It was fortunate it happened near the police station. It could have been a lot worse. The case was heard at the court on Thursday the 1st of November. A worker on a new housing estate who had unlimited access to homes was dismissed after it was revealed he was a convicted child molester. Named by a resident as Nigel Knighton, the handyman was hired by William Davis Homes, WDH, to carry out checks and correct faults in the new builds on Copcut Rise in Droitwich. The developer said it was unaware of Knighton's serious criminal record when he was hired as a snagger and given access to all house keys on his side of the estate. The Crown Prosecution Service has confirmed that Knighton was convicted of two sexual assaults in 2007, one of which was against a child. A resident who wished to remain anonymous said, It's horrific that he had access to our homes and that we have been alone with him and our children. She said WDH had let down all residents and put their children at risk by not carrying out a DBS check on Knighton, who she said has been on site for 18 months. He had unlimited access to our homes. It's completely sickening, she continued. He had keys to all of our homes and would arrive at all times of day to complete work, often first thing in the morning. He was the person who showed us how to use our locks when we moved in. She said she was told around two weeks ago by another worker on the site that he recognised Knighton from when they were in prison together. The builder had been having sleepless nights and was worried that he would could be sacked for revealing the information before telling her, she said. He said to me, please don't let him in, please don't let him into your home. A group of residents then found a newspaper article referring to Knighton before demanding their locks were changed by WDH. I haven't been able to sleep thinking about it all, said the resident. We are now wondering whether we need to have a talk with our little girl about anything that may have happened. As a mother, I felt guilty about it all. You just assume William Davis would have checked him out. He wasn't just a labourer on site, he was carrying out work inside our homes. She said all building firms must be made to run DBS checks on all staff. It's a time bomb waiting to go off, she added. It would only take one incident. It is a developer's responsibility to not leave something like this to chance. A spokeswoman for WDH said, whilst there is no 
industry requirement to carry out background checks on workers. This incident has clearly highlighted the need to review recruitment practices and is an area WDH is in the process of addressing. She said the firm recently became aware of concerns of residents on the estate regarding one of its site workers. This person no longer works for the company and whilst there is no suggestion any offence was committed while this person worked for the company, WDH takes these concerns very seriously and is acting upon them in the interest of customers and staff. She said senior members of management have spoken to residents and the company is raising is liaising with the Droitwich Safer Neighbourhood team and acting upon their recommendations. The company has also delivered notices to all the residents who may have come into contact with the person concerned, she added. Nigel Huddleston, Mid Worcestershire MP, said, It should be an industry industry standard for such checks to be made on anyone with access to private homes that may contain children. The Member of Parliament said he was... He has contacted the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government regarding the issue. I am deeply concerned and shocked to hear about this incident of a convicted child sex offender being able to freely enter homes in my constituency, he said. Given his record, it is undoubtedly the case that the most rudimentary of checks had been required would have stopped him making, being employed in this capacity. I have been looking into this issue and currently see no reason why this should not be taken up as a matter of policy with government. The guidance for DBS eligibility says that anyone in the fostering and adoption profession, for example, must have a DBS check, where that work means that there is also contact with children. Why a handyman accessing a household with children should not meet the same requirements is not immediately apparent to me. At the very least, it should be an industry standard for such checks to be made on anyone with access to private homes that may contain children. Referring to the Ministry of Housing, he said, I would like to hear their take on the issue and will pursue this as I see appropriate once I have a response from them. Hopefully, a sensible route forward can be found, he added. Drugs conspirators who arranged the sale of heroin and crack cocaine on the streets of Worcester are facing jail after a waiter turned street dealer was arrested in the city. Mertken Derrily appeared at Worcester Crown Court on Friday the 2nd of November where he admitted conspiracy to supply heroin and crack cocaine in Worcester. The court heard that Derrily, together with Vulcan Kurt and other unknown and unknown, conspired to bring the Class A drugs into the city between October the 26th last year and July the 19th this year. Derrily, aged 22, of Commander Avenue, London, appeared in the dock flanked by two dock officers and was formally harangued by the clerk, admitting both conspiracies. The case was adjourned so Derrily can be sentenced <coughs> alongside another co-defendant, Nejmi Attalar, aged 25, of Crooked Mile, Waltham Abbey, Essex, who had admitted the same conspiracies at an earlier hearing. We reported in April how Vulcan Kurt, who had served meals in London restaurants, had something else on the menu, 
when he arrived in Worcester to sell Class A drugs. The 21-year-old had his own congregation of addicts by the city's riverside, but the dealer was spotted by undercover officers from Operation Blade. Kurt was responsible for a drugs telephone line called the Chef Line, which addicts used to get access to Class A narcotics. The investigation led to the seizure of hundreds of pounds worth of heroin and crack and around £2,000 in criminal cash, much of which was stashed in a Worcester hotel room where Kurt was staying. Police placed his benefit from the enterprise, including cash and drugs seized, as £2,997. Kurt of Mornington Close in London was arrested as part of Operation Blade, a police initiative to cut the supply of Class A drugs into Worcester from major cities, sometimes using young people or vulnerable adults to carry and sell drugs across county boundaries with the help of dedicated mobile phone hotlines. He had already admitted possession of heroin with intent to supply, possession of crack cocaine with intent to supply, possession of criminal property, possession of cannabis and obstructing a constable in the execution of their duties when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court. Police officers in plain clothes spotted Kurt by the River Severn at around 1pm on Tuesday, March the 6th. Timothy Sapwell, prosecuting, said at the time they saw a group of users by the river near the Diglis Hotel congregating there and deduced that a drug deal was about to take place and spotted the defendant. The group made off towards the cathedral. The defendant was seen to approach a known user who was subsequently arrested and found to be in possession of two wraps of drugs. He was taken to custody and gave a false name. When searched, he was found to be in possession of two mobile phones, one showing a connection with a chef line. Police also seized £70 in cash, found eight wraps of heroin in Kurt's underwear and a keycard for a room in the city's White House Hotel. Officers searched the room where they found just under £2,000 in cash, including large sums of coins, finding 74 wraps of Class A drugs, each a £10 deal. They also found cannabis weighing one and a half ounces. In interview, Kurt said he had come to Worcester looking for work, had brought the cash with him and claimed the drugs were for his own personal use. Kurt later claimed he had been dealing to pay off a drugs debt. The judge jailed Kurt for 30 months. A confiscation order was also made in relation to Kurt's available cash, £2,088, and a timetable drawn up for recovering other money he made through dealing. Adam Weston, prosecuting the two conspirators, said, My submission is that the two defendants... Derrily and Atalar should be sentenced together. A date for the next hearing was not set. Derrily was remanded in custody. An 11-year-old girl.
Mm -mm. An 11-year-old girl has described the terrifying moment. She says a man tried to rape her in a dark alleyway in Worcester. The girl recounted the harrowing ordeal in a video interview played to a jury at Worcester Crown Court. Joshua Beardmore denies the attempted rape of a girl under 13 and assault by penetration following the alleged attacks in an alleyway near the Goodrust Tavern in Barker Street on May the 25th this year. The 25-year-old of Glenthorne Avenue did not appear at his trial and the case was opened in his absence by prosecutor Anna Midgley. The girl, who had a 10pm curfew, said Beardmore had offered to walk her home and suggested they go to the co-op where he bought a bottle of Lucasade. CCTV shows the girl and Beardmore in the shop at 10.10pm, 10, 10, 10 minutes after she was supposed to be home. After they left the shop, they entered the alleyway, which she described as really, really dark, telling officers, I couldn't really see anything. The defendant said he wanted to meet a friend and she said at one stage he pretended to be on his mobile phone before the attack. She said, I said, what are you doing? He said, nothing. He obviously was doing something. I was trying to shout. The second time he slapped me and kept on hitting me. I said, please stop. He kept on hitting me. He picked me up. He was dragging me around. She said he picked her up under her armpits and left a bruise on her upper arm and her shoes fell off. The girl described how she was crying and begging him to stop as she was touching her as he was touching her everywhere. During the assault, she said she believed he was trying to kill me in some way. I was terrified. I did not want to run because he's a fast runner, she said. The girl told officers he stopped and said to her, Sorry, what have I done? She asked him if she could collect her belongings and she ran back in the direction of the co-op telling a man called Mark Fletcher, who had been at the Goodrest, what had happened at around 10.15pm. The girl was described as shaking and crying. Police were contacted and Beardmore was arrested. The girl believes Beardmore may have been drunk at the time and was carrying a bottle of beer at one stage, which she said he put in the bin. Anna Midgley, prosecuting, said... She was crying and terrified and did not know what was happening. Miss Midgley said when police arrived to arrest Beardmore at his then address in Vigonia Avenue, he started to become distressed and suggested he should end it all and grabbed a kitchen knife, but officers were able to calm him down. In interview, he largely answered no comment to questions, but did say he wasn't a child molester. Police recovered the Lucasade bottle from the alleyway with Beardsmore's fingerprints on it. He explained the mud on his tracksuit by saying he had been wearing it for three days and it had got dirty. He was subsequently sentenced to 12 years in prison and six years on licence. I do hope she gets in touch, says a 71-year-old woman, who would like to thank the woman who came to her rescue after she fell. Alison Perkins from Malvern was making her way to the centre of Worcester on September the 10th when she tripped over a raised piece of tarmac and fell to the ground. Mrs Perkins was crossing over the street at Broad Street where the tarmac caught her and caused her ankle to twist. She said, I fell to the ground with such force I have really hurt myself. 
a woman came running over to me shouting, don't, don't, don't move, don't rush up. Other people passing by in the street were just staring at me and they didn't offer any help. This woman was, had a kind face. I was shaking from the shock. Once she helped me to get on my feet, she stayed with me and ensured I was fine. She was so kind to me, I thanked the woman at the time, but I was in a lot of shock and pain. Mrs Perkins did not go to the hospital till later in the evening. X-rays have confirmed her scaphoid bone in her thumb is broken. Mrs Perkins has been in a cast for six weeks and is beginning physiotherapy. She added, I have a lack of manoeuvrability, loss of feeling, pain and have developed anxiety. To be honest, I don't think that my left hand will ever be right again. I really would like to get in touch with a very kind lady who actually saw me fall and rushed to help me and stayed with me until I felt well enough to walk again. She was an absolute gem and without her help and kindness I would have been in deep trouble. I do hope she gets in touch. She needs recognition for her kindness. I would love the opportunity to thank the woman properly. It would be lovely to meet her for a coffee. She seems the sort of person who would be worrying about me, so I would like to be able to tell her how I'm getting on. So, if you were the Samaritan who helped Mrs Perkins, get in touch with the Worcester News reporter Grace Walton. Here we are. A former city <coughs> councillor who served Worcester for more than 19 years has died. Jeff Williams, who was diagnosed with cancer in the summer, only retired from the city council in May. His death comes less than a week after councillors agreed to make Mr Williams an honorary alderman for his services to the city. Councillor Adrian Gregson, deputy leader of Worcester City Council, paid tribute to Mr Williams in a statement. He said Jeff had a distinguished political career as a councillor in Southwark before the family, including children, Amy and Gareth, moved to Worcester and he worked at Coventry City Council until his retirement. Being a city councillor for 19 years, he was most proud of his achievements on the planning committee, helping to shape the city and most especially chairing the committee when the plans for the hive were approved. Jeff served in the cabinet and was deputy leader as well as previously being chairman of the scrutiny committee. Jeff was particularly keen on improving skills and opportunities for small businesses and economic growth in the city, creating real-life chances for the people in his ward. Friends and colleagues paid tribute to a man who, for many, had the golden thread, treating his ward work, planning applications and other council business as part of a strategic whole to improve and enhance the city. A season ticket holder at Six Ways, he was also an ardent cricket fan. <coughs> Jeff and his partner Moira had been looking forward to spending time walking and holidaying and having their first grandchild due this month. Mr Williams was first elected as a councillor in 1999 to represent the former Holy Trinity Ward before representing Gorse Hill. 50 young people from Worcester churches took part in a mission to help take care of their city. Now in its fourth year, the Noise Youth Mission weekend event saw the 50 children aged 11 to 18 completing several projects across the city, including assisting with the Good Soil Scheme at Top Barn Farm, where they also <coughs> camped on site. Last Sunday, the group split 
to work on separate projects with the aim to make a loud noise of love for the city. Worcester Food Bank has welcomed a group to assist with food collections for all four years of the noise and this year a team collected and sorted 625 kilograms of food ready for the next few busy months. While a Sunday lunch was cooked for 25 senior citizens, other groups taking part in the noise worked with the Worcester Parks team, building bird boxes and assisting with litter picking in Cripplegate Park. Leader Rebecca Rammel, trainee youth worker at Worcester Baptist Church, said, I've gone to the noise since it first started four years ago. I was project leader for the Seniors Lunch Project. The team got the food out on time and it looked delicious. Reverend Amy Waring, Minister for Youth and Children at St Peter's Baptist Church and leader of The Noise, said, This is the fourth year of The Noise Youth Mission and each year I am blown away by the young people and their hearts to serve our city. Despite the cold and the rain, they got stuck in and made a real difference. I am proud of every single one of them. For more information on the noise, visit thenoiseworcester.co.uk. An overheated electrical cable has been blamed for a fire which killed two young people. The fire at the house, well, it wasn't a house, but anyway, just outside Cotheridge, claimed the lives of Tamsin Pugh, aged 18, and Josh Kirk, aged 21. The investigation has concluded that the fire was accidentally caused by the, by the overheating of an unwound electrical extension reel. Fire investigation officers from Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service have worked with West Mercia Police to identify the cause of the fire. Our thoughts are with the families of the deceased following this accident, said Area Commander Mark Priest of the aforementioned service. We would encourage everyone to be aware of the risks and safe operation of electrical home appliances and especially of extension cables. Overloaded sockets, frayed or worn cables and extension cables which are daisy-chained or overheat under materials such as bedclothes or rugs can become hot and ignite combustible materials around them. Making these simple checks in our own homes could help avert another charity. Tamsin Pugh was well known as a swimmer and represented England and Great Britain at youth level. And Josh Kirk has been described as an incredible pianist and soul of the party. <laughs> the couple were um, in a property on the A44 between Cotheridge and Broadwest but could not be saved despite 35 fighters and officers being sent to fight the fire. It was spotted by paramedics from a passing ambulance at around 8pm on Sunday the 28th of October. More should be done to promote the identity of Worcestershire source, says a leading city councillor. Councillor Richard Udall is speaking out three years after he first raised the matter of the source labelled as Worcestershire but not made locally. The councillor called for Worcestershire sauce to be granted unique local status so that only products made in the county by Leon Perrins can use the name, but he says no action has yet been taken. 
It's very frustrating, he told the Worcester News. We have a unique product that is sold all over the world. No other Worcestershire produce is as well known, yet it has been ripped off by pale and poor imitations, which do not stand up to any kind of scrutiny. Councillor Udall, who, who represents the St John's Ward on the City and County Council, said he also feels that the City should shout more to celebrate the product. He said, Not long ago I was outside the Leon Perrin's factory gates for about five minutes. In that time, two different pe- parties of tourists approached the gates, one from Holland and another from America. Both took pictures and chatted with me about how much they love our most famous product, and both asked if factory tours were available. Worcester City Council should be working with the owners of the brand to help promote Worcester as the source city. We need factory tours, we need a Leon Perrin's gift shop, and we may even need a statue of a bottle of Worcestershire sauce in Cripplegate Park. Councillor Udall added... Worcestershire sauce is a world-famous culinary condiment. We should celebrate the product, share in its success, and build a relationship between the factory, the council, and the people of Worcester. It is a product to be proud of, so let's do it. Councillor Udall will be writing to the city council leader, Mark Bayliss, asking him to coordinate and organise a campaign to celebrate Worcestershire sauce during 2019. An NHS trust is moving out of its city headquarters in part due to the ageing and inefficient building. Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust will relocate from Isaac Maddox's house in Shrub Hill Road to King's Court in Charles Hastings Way in the spring. One councillor sees the move as an opportunity to revitalise the area around Isaac Maddox's house. City councillor Lynn Denham, who used to work in the building, said, It's a beautiful building. If they're moving out, that's a significant regeneration opportunity. It's got a lot of potential. Councillor Denham, who represents Cathedral Ward, said the site has been used by the NHS for at least 30 years. She said the building could form part of plans to improve the area around Shrub Hill Station, as outlined in the Council's recently released City Centre Master Plan. However, Andy Pearson, co-owner of Rich Print, based in Isaac Maddock House, has raised concerns about the future of small businesses in the building. He says, It will be interesting when our lease comes up for renewal to see what sort of timescales they offer us. Mr Pearson added that the filling station, a sandwich shop in Shrub Hill Road, will be badly hurt by the move due to the amount of trade it receives from the NHS staff. A spokesman for Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust said, The decision not to renew the long-term lease at Isaac Maddox House is due in part to the fact the building is ageing and inefficient. It is also because of the potential for increased partnership working with our partners at Worcestershire Acute Hospital NHS Trust. Also, the NHS will be paying rent to the fire service as opposed to a private landlord and therefore keeping the taxpayer pound in the public sector. The proposal would improve back office partnership working with colleagues providing similar functions for the Acute Trust who are also based at the King's Court complex. Alternative arrangements are being made for those clinical 
staff based at Isaac Maddox's house, but this won't affect the clinics they run out in the community. The Trust's board approved lease terms for the King's Court property, which is owned by Hereford and Worcester Fire Authority, earlier this year. Roughly 250 NHS staff are employed at Isaac Maddox's house in a range of corporate roles, from human relations to legal services. St Malden, which owns the building, was unavailable for comment. In the 1960s, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones played concerts in Worcester, <coughs> attracting huge crowds. Flashback 100 years, and the visits of Thomas Marwood and James Berry caused much the same reaction. Except Marwood and Berry were not in the city to entertain, they were here to kill. Public hangings were at the sharp end of life in the, ni- in the 1800s, and the pair were among the official executioners of their day. Their job to see off the constant stream of felons, rogues and 'er ne'er-do-wells who had been sentenced to forfeit their lives for the crimes they had committed. The gruesome event was usually held at Worcester County Jail in Castle Street, the venue to which the populace flocked in its thousands. The prison opened in 1814, and for its first 50 years, the governors, John Nelson Lavender, followed by his son-in-law, Ben Stables, chose the hangman from the ranks of conscience-free Worcester men willing to do the deed in return for little more than beer money. But when too many hangings went hideously wrong, either because the rope was too short, leaving the condemned man to strangle to death, or too long, in which case he was decapitated, the Home Office took control by circulating its own list of approved executioners. The first was Londoner William Colcroft, who is said to have loved Worcester and spent the morning of the six executions he conducted here walking on Pitchcroft, where he was followed by an adoring crowd of fans. In his time, Colcroft carried out 450 hangings, although not all went entirely according to plan. His memoirs outlined the occasions he was required to go down below the trap and pull on the prisoners' legs in order to speed up their death. (coughs) His successor at Worcester was William Marwood, a cobbler by trade, well-read and educated, and he is credited with improving the hanging process by introducing the first table of weights by which the required length of rope was calculated according to the prisoner's height, weight and age. Typically, a 14-stone man would get a 5-foot 1-inch drop, an 8-stone woman would drop 8-foot 6 inches. Marwood hanged a total of 179, including 8 women, and a popular ditty of the day went, If Pa killed Ma, who'd kill Pa? Marwood. In 1884, he was succeeded by his friend and assistant, one-time Yorkshire policeman James Berry, whose entrance into the and out of Worcester was met with huge crowds all eager for a chance to mob their hero. Many a local man bragged he'd carried Hangman Berry's black bag to or from the station, containing the actual rope which had been used to hang dozens of prisoners. Berry learned a lot from Marwood, but clearly hadn't acquired his tutor's sense of detail 
and when, on Whit Monday, May the 25th, 1885, he hanged the killer of Worcester County policeman James Davis. Moses Shrimpton's head was ripped clear from his body as the nine-foot drop he calculated, based on the killer's ten-stone weight, had failed to take into account the condition of the 66-year-old farm labourer's skin and muscle tissue. Though James Berry went on to conduct three more executions in Worcester, he was already out of favour and was sacked. By now a sad and regretful drunk, he committed suicide not long after, aged 61. His role was taken by ex-Sunday school teacher, wrestler, miner and pub singer James Billington, for whom being hangman was a family affair. Three of his sons, Thomas, William and John, all following their father into the profession. Billington was followed by a name that has since become synonymous with the art of execution, Pierpoint. This was ex-butcher Henry, who'd been apprenticed to James Billington and whose brother Thomas and possibly even the more famous son Albert were also executioners. But just as controversy surrounds the role of executioner, the individuals themselves were not above suspicion, mistrust and dissent. Thomas and his assistant, John Ellis, the two often reversed the roles, disliked each other with a vengeance, each accusing the other of being a drunk and a liability in the job. In one notorious incident, they swapped punches in front of a shocked governor and party assembled to witness an execution. John Ellis, a former Rochdale hairdresser, went on to conduct the last execution at Worcester Jail before its closure. The condemned man was Chinaman, Zhang Jing-sung, only 4 foot 11 inches tall, who had been convicted of the murder of another of his countrymen, Zi Ming-wu, in 1919. It was reported that only 20 to 30 people stood in silence outside the prison during Sung's execution, in contrast to the crowds of up to 7,000 which had filled Castle Street in earlier years. Though tiny, Sung was not the shortest man to be hanged at Worcester. That distinction belonged to Robert Pulley, who murdered 15 years old Mary Ann State at Drake's Broughton in 1848. He measured a mere four foot eight inches and his coffin was just three inches longer. John Ellis also ended his days by suicide. He attempted to shoot himself in 1924 and failed, but eight years later was successful slashing his throat with a razor in 1932, aged 57. In his time, Ellis hanged 203 people, including Dr Crippen, Frederick Seddon, Sir John Casement and Edith Thompson. Worcester Prison was closed in 1922, but parts remained standing for many years and were used by furniture makers, rack straws. The area fronting Castle Street became motor dealers, H.A. Saunders, and then county furnishings. It is now the art house of the University of Worcester, so if students find a ghost sitting amongst them one day, they will know where it came from. Information from Bob Blanford's upcoming book, Suspended Sentences, The Long and Short of a Century's Executions at Worcester Jail, due for publication next year. 
Um, Bob's previous four books on old Worcester pubs and Worcester City Police are all local bestsellers and can be contacted direct bob.backandforth at worcesterpubs.co.uk A charity co-founder who touched the hearts of many readers with her weekly column about the ups and downs of cancer has died aged 42. Kate Butler set up Breast Unite events with best friend Susie Coleman to create and run fundraisers for Worcestershire Breast Unit with her pal praising the incredible legacy she left behind. Surrounded by husband Tim and parents Gordon and June, Kate died at home in Worcester on the 31st of October. It doesn't matter how much you prepare yourself, it doesn't make things any easier, said Susie. I'm just so thankful for having been able to enter her life and for what we have achieved over ten years of friendship. Susie was diagnosed with breast cancer three and a half years before Kate and said she found herself struggling with loneliness without someone to relate to. This would eventually lead to her co-founding Breast Unite events to help alleviate some of the isolation for other sufferers. I didn't want anyone going through this on their own like I did, she explained. I was in my mid-twenties at the time and I didn't really have anyone to speak to who knew what I was going through. After Kate was diagnosed a few years later, the pair by chance ended up sharing the same consultant and developed a true friendship because we understood what each was going through. They then set up the groundbreaking charity in 2014, which has helped raise crucial funds for the Worcestershire Royal Hospital Unit and has inspired countless cancer sufferers. Kate was re-diagnosed with cancer in December 2016 after suffering severe chest pain eight years after getting the all-clear, aged 32. Susie went on to say, I felt helpless in that she had almost overtaken me in terms of her re-diagnosis. It was really hard not understanding how she was feeling. Kate became known by Worcester News readers for what Susie described as her warts and all column about her re-diagnosis. She appeared in the paper each week from mid-June to the end of September. It was always warts and all with Kate, said Susie. She said it how it was. She wanted to give a true and honest account and people could relate to it, I think. It was a true insight into how you really feel when you were given that news. It benefited people to be able to read those columns. In a heartbreaking final blog, post written by Kate on her website called The One None of Us Wants to Read or Believe on October the 11th. She said, the time has come. Unfortunately, we have received the devastating news that my liver cancer is now not controllable and I have no further treatment options available to me, she wrote. This is likely to come as a shock. As I know, just a couple of weeks ago, I said I was starting a new set of chemotherapy drugs and there was some hope. I was able to tolerate six sessions of this drug, but was told that my cancer was not responding to it and is now ravaging my body. She continued, Therefore, I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has been following me. 
I know you will respect my wishes that I now want to spend as much time as possible with my family and very close friends with as much time as I have. Going on to speak about her legacy, she said that she hoped she may have inspired her readers and talked about how cancer had also brought some wonderful things and opportunities to my life. She added she was so proud of what she had achieved as a woman with cancer and an awareness raiser and fundraiser. I hope I have also made you smile and would like to remind you to be kind always and try to give back where you can. I can't tell you what fundraising and awareness raising has brought to my life. It has enhanced and enriched it. So it's time to say goodbye and thank you and I'm sending my love to all. Kate and Susie had a room at Worcestershire Breast Unit named after them, which the former called one of my proudest achievements. Susie said, despite everything, she never gave up hope. Me and the girls, we were all thinking, surely she'll pull through. Some people with a stage four diagnosis managed to stay on with no evidence of the disease, as they call it, for quite some time. But her liver levels kept rising and it meant they couldn't function which led to liver failure, which is what she had. Susie added, It's desperately sad, but she stayed very much Kate right up to the end, with her love for life and family and friends. I went to see her a few days before, and we were taking the mick out of each other. That's how she was. Kate finished her final blog post with, Please enjoy your life. Don't have regrets. Don't put things off. Don't take your health for granted. Time is so precious. The initial stage of work to install new water pipes in the city centre is on schedule to finish uh, on November the 9th uh, this week. Seven Trent Water, known as STW, has confirmed. Church Street was closed to pedestrians as part of the final stages of Phase 1 of work on the road and the shambles. Started in August, the scheme is looking to provide more reliable water supply and to help prevent future leaks and, and bursts in what is one of the city's busiest shopping areas. STW engineers are then moving off-site until January, before returning to work on making connections at the, at the junctions of Trinity Street, the Shambles, St. Thwithan Street and Melchipen Street. Garth Mead, Senior Community Communications Officer, said, The tarmac which has been laid is only a temporary measure and will be removed once the City Council carries out the regeneration next year. He said the second phase will be completed by the end of January, while all paths and paving on the, on the junction with the Shambles and Church Street will be upgraded by the council soon after. The final phase will be completed, completed next summer. And now moving across to a bit of sport, I think. Are we? Yeah. Um, this is good news um, for our Worcester City fans that um, Worcester City is set to launch free transport to home matches for the over 50s from Saturday. City and its supporters has linked up with Fans for Diversity Worcester Wheels Com Community Transport, Age UK 
and inclusion in sport in a bid to tackle loneliness and isolation for the elderly. The Homeless Club plays at Bromsgrove Sporting's Victoria Ground more than 10 miles away with the older generation's ability to attend matches an issue highlighted by Chairman Steve Good. The collaboration begins for Saturday's Home League clash with Loughborough University with those wishing to use the service encouraged to contact Age UK's Worcester branch on 01905 724 294 or via email info at ageukwd.org. Claire Thomas, CEO of Age UK Worcester, said, This partnership with Worcester City Football Club will bring huge benefit. Going to matches is a hugely positive part of people's lives and a way in which they can be with friends, follow fans and feel a belonging. When this is taken away because of transport and access issues, it can leave people feeling really isolated. We're really excited about this partnership and would ask any fans who cannot get to games to contact us. Director of Rugby, Alan Solomons, is keeping an open mind over Worcester Warriors' fly-half quandary as he waits to see where Duncan Weir sits in Scotland's plans. Weir's fine form for Warriors has resulted in him being selected by head coach Gregor Townsend ahead of his side's meeting with Fiji at Murrayfield on Saturday. But with Scotland's tests against South Africa and Argentina clashing with Worcester's premiership battles with Bath and Harlequins, this month Weir's call-up could leave Solomons with limited options at standoff. Warriors were dealt a blow two weeks ago when it emerged number 10 Jono Lance faced up to four months on the sidelines with back problems. Solomons said the club would be ready to take action if necessary, but acknowledged there was a chance Weir could be released back to Warriors. Prior to November <coughs> international, the in November internationals, we were notified that Duncan would be part of the squad, Solomon said. It's no different to Nick Schoenhurt and Ted Hill being part of the England squad, and then each week a decision is made whether they are going to play, be part of the 25 or released. Duncan is in the same position as Josh Adams, Nick, Ted and Ben Teo. We are aware of the situation and are monitoring what is happening. If we feel it appropriate to take action, then we will. We have got, got to keep an open mind with it. At the moment, Duncan is not playing for Scotland. There are two weeks to go when the Autumn Internationals are on after this weekend and by the end of November it has ended. I think the prudent thing to do is what we are doing, which is monitoring the situation and seeing what happens. Duncan was not selected for Scotland's first match against Wales, so we will see what the selection is for this match and then we will take it from there. Asked whether he had started looking for a fly-half to potentially fill Weir's boot, Solomons added, We are reasonably well prepared for any eventuality. We are aware of the situation in its entirety. We will monitor it and will take appropriate action where we deem necessary. Solomons also insisted Jamie Shilcock was a quality number 10, while noted utility back Scott Van Breeder and centre Ryan Mills, 
who is expected to return to full training next week from an ankle issue, have got experience to pulling on that shirt. Van Breda looks set to start at fly half when Warriors visit Saracens in the Premiership Cup <clears throat> on Sunday. That's quite possible, said Solomons. He played fly half at Western Province in the Vodacom Cup, so he has got experience of playing in that position. From my own personal experience of him, he played 13, 11, 14 or 15, but he has played at 12 and 10. He's a big boy, a good kicker, has got a good head <coughs> on his shoulders, has got very good ball skills and is brave. And now for some basketball wheelchair. Worcester Wolves Wheelchair Basketball Club secured back-to-back -back wins in National League Division 3 Southwest. They beat Gloucester Blazers 35-24 and Hampshire Harriers 50-45 as Rob Wales started as the team's new assistant coach. Against Gloucester, Wolves secured an early lead of 10 in the first quarter and maintained the lead as they ended up winning by 11 points. Top scorer was Frankie Jones with 10. Against Hampshire, Wolves got off to their best start of the season with 22 points in the first quarter with all of the starting five combining well. In the second quarter, Captain Jones suffered a knock to the teeth and had to be subbed off for a while but Wolves still maintained an offensive presence and displayed decent defence, going into half-time with a 20-point lead. Things began to slip for the hosts in the third quarter as they started to play as five individuals rather than as a team. This caused a slight downfall for Wolves as Hampshire started to fire up. Towards the end of the final quarter, composed free throws from Jones secured Wolves the five-point victory, capping off a successful weekend for the club. Top scorer was again Jones with 14 points. Wolves next face Thames Valley Kings. A teenager who was sitting on the roof of a city building, uh, a city centre building, has been arrested for wasting police time. The 18-year-old man got on the roof of William Hill on the cross in Worcester, where he sat with his legs dangling over the edge of the three-storey building on the morning of Thursday, the 1st of, of November. Police cordoned off a large part of Forget Street and St Swithin Street, with the teenager coming down safely at around 10am. However, later that afternoon... Police tweeted that he was in custody for a number of offences, including a public order offence and wasting police time. Speaking prior to the tweet, a West Mercia police spokesman said, At approximately 7.44am this morning, police were called to reports of, a concern, of concern for the safety of an 18-year-old man seen on the roof of Starbucks, at the cross in Worcester. Police, ambulance and fire services attended and road closures were in place on St Swithin Street. The man was helped down and did not suffer any injuries. The road has since reopened. Eyewitness Lauren Dobbin said yesterday morning 
There were several police, ambulances and firefighters at the scene and a large section of town had been closed off. Many people stood watching the boy and police stood below trying to talk him down. I arrived at the scene about 8.30am and the police were already, uh, already there but wouldn't have been for long because as soon as I got there they had only just started closing off the scene to stop people walking through. The young boy tried to climb higher onto the building and smoked a cigarette, then went back to his original position of hanging his legs over the edge of the building. If you have been affected by mental health issues or have been feeling suicidal, please call the Samaritans free any time for confidential re- support from any phone on 116 one two three or email joe at samaritans dot org. You can also seek help at your local Samaritans branch. Two thieves snuck into the city's hospital and stole items with one of them imitating a member of staff to access the wards. There were two reported thefts at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on Sunday night, sparking security concerns about the site. Police believe a criminal took a bank card from someone's bag in one of the thefts. Peter Pinfield, chairman of Health Watch Worcestershire, said, I find it appalling that anyone can steal any items from people in a hospital, whether it's from patients or staff. Mr Pinfield said patients and relatives should keep their eyes peeled in the hospital and report any suspicious activity. A spokesman for Worcestershire Acute Hospitals, NHS Trust, added, A security incident was reported on Sunday the 4th of November after two individuals targeted ward areas on the Worcestershire Royal Hospital site with two reported thefts. West Mercia Police have been informed and CCTV images have been shared with them and our other hospital security teams. All staff have also been reminded of the need to ensure the personal property of both patients and staff is accounted for and made secure and to be extra vigilant and challenge any unknown individuals attempting to gain access into areas of restricted access. Additionally, the Trust continues to strongly advise patients not to bring any valuable or personal items, including money, into hospital wherever possible. Staff at the hospital received a security alert email about the thefts. The email urged workers to watch out for people following them into restricted areas and challenge anyone acting suspiciously. West Mercia Police said one of the thefts took place at around 8pm on Sunday. Officers are now appealing for information about the incidents and anyone with information can ring police on 101, quoting incident number 649. And that brings us to the end... (coughs) So it remains for me, Judith Doherty, and to thank the team, Elizabeth, Audrey and Sally, to sign off and hope you all have have a good week. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.